Hello. Hey, Rev. How's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good, man. Really appreciate <laughs> taking the time. I'm happy to do it. And pardon awesome, me for a second man. while I just get a well, fill, my, fill my water bottle. Oh, cool. Well, guys, uh, guys and girls want to introduce a very special guest here on the Low Del Foodies. I'm your host, Michael Rowland. And it's Wednesday, February 20th. And we've got David Rev Ciencio. Did I pronounce that right, Rev? You did. You did. Awesome, man. Dude, to get started, before we go dive into the food talk, can you break down where Rev comes from? <laughs> it's one of my, I get asked that question a lot. Like, why do people call you Rev? Where that name come from? Uh, I am an ordained reverend, so it's technically my title. Uh, oh, wow. So I'm, I'm technically Reverend David J. Ciencio. Uh, and then you're like, so tell me more things. Um, one of the very first things that I found engaging and fun about the internet was back in 1997, when I realized how easy it was to get ordained <laughs> online. <laughs> okay. and, and at the time I thought, oh, that's pretty funny. That's a cool thing to do with the internet. You know, much like now you might go click on a picture on Instagram or like send a Snapchat to a friend. Back then the internet was cool because you could get ordained in one click. <laughs> and wow. uh, that's amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought it would be really funny to go get ordained and then tell everybody I was an ordained reverend. And uh, I did. And then I started signing all my emails, you know, Rev David Ciancio, just like as if I was a, you know, a doctor or something. <laughs> and, you know, Dr. David Ciancio. And people didn't sort of get the joke. And they started like new interactions with new people. They thought my name was Rev and David was my middle name. So people just started calling me Rev as a name and I just went with it. So I, I didn't do it for religious reasons. Uh, I'm not exactly a religious person or practicing uh, a heavy practicer of any faith, uh, but I literally did it because I thought it would be funny. And uh, it, it stuck. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so this was the prelude to food way before the food days. Uh, I was still in the music business back then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. That's, you're quite the renaissance, man. Minister music <laughs> and then food. I love it. <laughs> and I saw recently, Rev, you on your Instagram stories, White Castle sent you some custom bathrobes. I'm a huge White Castle fan. How, how did that come about? They are absolutely one of my all-time favorite food brands. Um, <clears throat> and there, there's a lot of haters and a lot of lovers out there, but I, I've been a hater since I was a kid. Um, White Castle used to be one of those things that like I would get good grades and my mom be like, oh, we're going to White Castle or like <laughs> it was like her birthday and my stepfather hated sliders. So it'd be like me and my mom would go have sliders. So like White Castle is like a special place to me because it's been there my whole life. Um, but, you know, since the advent of social media and food blogs, like I write about White Castle a lot because I love White Castle. And so, you know, I've posted various, you know, photos and content uh, about White Castle since I started writing blogs in 2003 and so i think just over time somebody there's either tracking uh my engagement or, or my uh you know the, the things i'm posting about them and every once in a while i get random gifts from white castle uh the the valentine's day gift i got this year which was um a set of glass uh champagne like champagne real glasses not plastic uh, a white castle hamburger um, candle and some blue satin robes, some brand blue <laughs> was just another another line of random gifts that White Castle sends me. That their brand is incredible. That's awesome. That uh, you know your love of sliders did that help you with the idea of uh, founding New York Burger Week? Um, I mean, I kind of just love burgers, so yeah, I guess my love of sliders played in into that on some level. Uh, sliders to me are a very different thing, and in, in I don't get up and 
quote unquote preach on a whole lot of topics. Uh-huh. Uh, but one thing that like I really get angry about, and I, I'm I'm diverting the topics here a little. One thing I really get angry about in the food world is when a restaurant or a person calls a mini burger a slider because a mini burger is not a slider. A mini burger is a mini burger. Um, and just because the burger is a smaller version of a larger burger does not make it a slider. That makes it a mini burger. Wow, um, Rev, I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Can you shed some light on the difference? Sure. So uh, a mini burger is that. It is a smaller version of a larger burger. Um, and by the way, there's no such thing as a pulled pork slider. That doesn't exist. Um, th- that is a mini pulled pork sandwich. But a slider, uh, the technical uh, the technical explanation or definition there is when is you taking a two to three ounce uh, wad of fresh beef, smashing it on a flat top, cooking it, uh, cooking it on that flat top with salt and pepper, and then steaming onions, steaming buns on top, and then cheese and maybe pickles, and that's it. And if you are taking a, a you know two ounce or eight ounce patty and you're cooking it on a grill or you're cooking it on a flat top and you're not smashing it and you're not steaming onions and you're not using a squishy bun and American cheese or pickle, it's not a slider. It's a mini burger. And wow. I get, and I get like super angry when I walk into a restaurant, they're like, Oh, you should try our slider menu. I was like, Oh, you're smashing fresh beef. Well, no, they're hand formed. Like, well, that's a mini burger. That's not a slider. Wow. That's amazing. That, thanks for that knowledge. I honestly have no idea. And I definitely, I'll be honest, have been a victim of calling a mini burger a slider numerous times. Perhaps. It's a really dumb thing to be passionate about, but I like Well, that's why you founded Burger Week, man. Obviously, it makes sense now. I get it. That's awesome. And well, the genesis of Burger Week was interesting. Um, you know, I've been writing Burger Conquest at that point for, I think, four or five years. Um, you know, BurgerConquest.com, which at, at one point was one of the top three hamburger blogs out there. And every year, like I would do my year in review, like my personal year in review, like, hey, what did I accomplish because of the blog? Or what did the blog help people with? Or, you know, and then I would set a new goal, like, oh, next year, I want to do this next year, I want to do that. And at that point, the blog had been around four or five years. And, you know, I'd gotten myself on TV, I'd proven I could drive customers into a restaurant. Um, you know, I built an email list, like I'd done all these things. I was like, well, what do I do next? And I thought, well, there's nobody that's really pulling together like the burger lover community. Like there's nobody that's giving us a physical reason to get each other, to get around each other and enjoy burgers other than like the burger bash. And that was a totally different thing. And I thought, why don't I create some burger? Why don't I create a burger event? And I had no money (laughs) and no budget. And so the idea of like renting a venue and grills and paying for that and having to raise funding and make sure I guaranteed tickets is like, well, I couldn't take that risk. So I was like, well, what if I do a bunch of really small events? Like I pick some of my favorite restaurants and I do like sort of these no risk events where like there's only 20 tickets available or, you know, we only sell based on capacity. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And I called a number of different restaurants and a few of them were like, hey, that sounds really fun. And New York Burger Week was born. And the first year, I think we only did five events in seven days, maybe six. Uh, And then every year since it's been seven days of burger events. Each day is a different event. And still, like, it's sort of a no risk uh, thing for me because I don't, like, rent out a venue. And, you know, it's not Burger Bash. I'm not spending millions of dollars to to do whatever. It, it costs me a little bit of money to do something fun and get some burger lovers together. And, and it's remarkable that you started that back in 2008, which was really the early, I mean, not Internet days, but social media days, if you think about it. I mean, with how much you've built up Instagram 
it's wild that you were able to build up such a brand. Um, was it a much different process back then compared to now with your Instagram stories? Um, it was in that, that first year I had an, I've always had an interesting part. I've always had partnerships that helped me raise awareness and, and sell tickets. That first year was a partnership with Thrillist. So Thrillist had a, pr- at that point, I mean, they still do, but they had a pretty big consumer-based list here in New York City. So by partnering that with them, I was able to get, you know, instant eyeballs on these events. And because the events only had 20 tickets or 30 tickets, it wasn't really that hard to sell out. You know, their list at the time was in the hundreds of thousands. So wow. that that definitely helped put it forward. <clears throat> you know, but since then I've partnered with, you know, uh, ground beef purveyors. I've partnered with delivery partners. I've partnered with media partners and so you know i couldn't i could have never done it just you know me sending out emails or you know me posting to instagram that's awesome and you know with that obviously you've set a a high bar with a lot of food influencers obviously following suit there's a bunch out there how would you suggest people distinguish themselves and get their voice heard these days uh you mean as an influencer like what to do to set yourself apart yeah exactly well, I would tell anybody, I would tell this to a brand, not just an influencer, but like if you're going to open up a social channel or, a, you know, a, your own page on a social channel, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, a blog, whatever, like, why are you doing it? Like, you need to have a reason to produce content to give re- people a reason to follow it. And, you know, if you're just posting because you want to be an influencer or that sounds like a fun life, you're not going to really get anywhere because you're no different than anybody else. So, you know, fi- you got to figure out kind of like what's unique about you or what's unique about your view, you know, and look at it from like, what value can I bring to other people who follow my content? And that value could be entertainment. It could just be like, oh, I'm better at taking photos than this person. That's fine. That's that's valuable. Or it could be that, you know, you're really good at writing captions and you just happen to be a funny person. Or you could be the like the most poetic person on the world that every time you talk about the way a steak was cooked, People, you know, are ripping their clothes off and running, you know, naked in the streets for that sake. You just have to, you know, you could be the person that recommends new restaurants in a particular area. You could be, you know, somebody that exposes terrible customer service. Like you just have to have a reason or a theme for people to follow you. So if you're looking to, you know, if you want to get out there and create content and hopefully build some sort of audience around yourself, you know, the, the way to differentiate is what do you, what does your personal lens or brand bring to the world that's different than somebody else's and then accentuate that through the content. And then, you know, the rest of the, the, the marketing strategist in me comes out after that and tells you to test, go out and test your content, test your idea. If people don't like it, change. If they don't, if, if you don't care, if they don't like it, don't change, you know. And then that clearly with you, burger was your, I mean, it's clearly one of your food passions and you built a foundation around your love of burgers, which clearly, as you've been preaching here, makes building content a lot more manageable where you're being genuine and, you know, who you are. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the burger blog was not my first foray into food content. Um, you know, the first website I ever wrote was cheesesteaks.com um, because I was super passionate. I guess I still am about cheesesteaks. But I learned real quickly two important lessons about cheesesteaks, at least in the early 2000s, was A, the further you get away from Philadelphia, the lower the quality of cheesesteaks available, and B, more importantly, the smaller the audience. And so when I sort of, <laughs> when I sort of exhausted the world of available cheesesteak audience, I was like, okay, this isn't going to go anywhere. 
Yeah, I, Rev, do you even eat cheesesteaks when you're either in Atlantic City, Philadelphia, or that South Jersey area? Would you recommend it? Oh, gee, it's one of my top three favorite kinds of sandwiches. Are you kidding? I love cheesesteaks. So are they, do they know how to do cheesesteaks, right, though, in any other parts of the country that you've seen? Um, I mean, you know, it's 2019 now. I was writing that blog in 2003. I would say that in 16 years, the world of cheesesteaks has certainly come along, um, you know, can can has anybody totally recreated what they do in philadelphia outside of philly a little you know Uh there's some pretty good cheesesteaks in new jersey there's some pretty good cheesesteaks in new york city um i haven't had any really outside of that area i'm also typically when i go somewhere else it's not the first thing i look for so you know keep the lens on that answer that like I go somewhere else. The first thing I do is look for burger. So, uh, I, of course, I, I don't blame you there, man. And with all, the, I'm seeing all your food pictures. Do you eat all of the food you take the pictures of? Um, for the most part, yes. I probably not um, finishing the full plate of everything you see in photo. Although most of the time I am. Um, what I do is look at it this way: I posted something new on Instagram once a day. Right. So that's seven days a week. I need content. Right. The content monster is always hungry. Um, But because I'm like a dad and a husband and I have a full time job, like I can't just go eat all the time. (laughs) I'm also I also have physical limitations as a human. Um, What I do and this is this is sort of my formula is I go out to eat two nights a week. Right. And I go out and I do typically will do two different restaurants in one night. Right. What I'll try to do is sample as many different dishes as I can at each restaurant so that I can gather content that takes me through the other three days. Or let's say I have a super busy week and I can't go out or I'm traveling with my family, right? Mm-hmm. But here's, here's where I get back to answering your question. I typically don't dine alone. So I typically either dine with my family <clears throat> and I'm taking pictures of the things they eat um, or I'm dining with other influencers and so in that case, if there's four influencers and we order four plates, we can all order the thing we're most interested in, but then take pictures of each other's food. So if you see a picture on my Instagram, there are four or five dishes in the photo. Maybe only one of them is mine. Oh, right? okay. Right. And then so like if you see a burger and a bowl of French fries and a pasta dish and a lobster, like I maybe only ordered one of those. But what will happen then in the influencer uh, aspect is typically we're also sharing plates. So do I eat it all? Yeah, but like I didn't order four dishes. I ordered one. We then split it. So essentially I only really had one meal because I had a fourth of this dish, a fourth of that dish, a fourth of the other dish. And then a lot of times too, like if we go out for, if it's only two of us and we do two restaurants one night and we order eight dishes, that's a lot. I'll bring my family home some or I'll eat some the next day for leftovers. And a lot of times, honestly, we give away food. Like there's a lot of you know people in New York City who don't have the ability to eat or have the choice of where their next meal is. And so we'll pass on the street and be like, hey, do you want this steak? Do you want this sandwich? And we, we give away a lot of food too. Oh, so, incredible. so we try, at least I do and some of my friends try to not waste and try to over order. It happens. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't eat everything, but like I probably eat more than you might think I do. I, yeah, I was sitting here thinking, does Excuse Rev me. have, like, two extra fridges in his garage just with leftovers with for his family? <laughs> I, it's funny. I have to prepare my family. So, like, if I know that it's going to be a big night where I'm going to come home with a lot of food, th- my wife and my son will, like, not make a big dinner so there aren't enough leftovers. But then they know the next day they're going to eat all those leftovers, so they leave room in the fridge. 
<laughs> and with with eating there, Rev, are you more of do you prefer cooking or dining out? Um, I definitely have a passion for restaurants. Um, okay. and so I probably prefer to have somebody else cook my food. And I don't mean that in the slave labor sense of the, where like, <laughs> of course, like I enjoy the art of, of what a, a restaurateur puts in the, the passion of their food. Like there's a different level of, like, it's just not, Oh, I need French fries. I'm not craving French fries. I'm cook. I'm craving like really well-made French fries. And I know that I'm not going to put as much time as it takes to make awesome French fries at home as if I just call the pizza place around the corner from my house. So I, I love that, man. I'm I, the same way. I just enjoy dining out. I enjoy the culture of restaurants. I enjoy the culture of chefs. I enjoy the culture of cooks. I enjoy the culture of kitchens. So for me, it's not just like, hey, the body needs energy. There's like an entertainment and a community value to me eating. So I do love cooking. I do fancy myself, not quote unquote as a chef, but as a home cook. Um, I just typically don't have the time or the energy to cook the way I want to eat. How about do you ever order in delivery? <laughs> Multiple <laughs> times a week. Uh, t- My man. There we go. <laughs> I order delivery probably four days a week at work. Um, wow. And then at home, it's probably three to four days a week. Love that, man. I'm with you on that. Are you a big pizza delivery guy? Uh, it's, it's the number one delivery category in my house. Same here. I, it's the easiest food to have delivered, you know? It's just, the, I wish everything delivered like pizza would make my life much easier. Well, so you bring up a good point. So, I, like, my local pizza joint, I actually went and had dinner there the other night with the owner. And I realized in the year that I've lived in this, in this house, I've only eat, eaten in his restaurant once. but I've ordered from there at least once a week. And we talked about it. And I said, look, if I'm coming in tonight, I want to order all the dishes that don't travel. There we go. (laughs) And he's like, well, what doesn't travel? I was like, well, I don't think wings travel. I don't think a burger travels. You know, I think plated dishes travel, but they don't look good on Instagram. (laughs) So, yeah, you've got to be careful. I've lived, you know, over the years, just as a guinea pig with our food delivery business, I'm constantly ordering any type of food imaginable. A lot of them are just not good on delivery. There's some gems that are like, you know, we talked about pizza, burritos sit pretty well because it's easy to package. But, you know, a lot of things are better out dining out. And I love where you were going, Rev, with the community aspect. I get that same energy when I'm out at a restaurant. You know, you just have the, the vibe, the people around, the music, the energy. You can't really get that at home. Nope. And, 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 you know, again, to sort of answer a couple of questions there at once, the food that I would be willing to order in and the food that I want to order from a restaurant are not the same. Mm, So like, so like I love a 35 day dry aged medium rare porterhouse, but I'm not ordering that delivery. And I'm typically not going to cook that at home. I'm going to a restaurant. You know what I mean? So that's only a fine dining type of thing that you would really highlight on like state club seven. That's your, go to Instagram for fine dining steak, right? Yeah. And I mean, I just using steak as an example, but exactly. That's amazing. And, and Rev, you've, I mean, you've clearly, you've been in the restaurant industry now for over 20 years. I've got a bunch of friends personally that are always talking about opening up restaurants. We've got employees thinking the same thing, even customers. What advice would you give somebody that's looking to open up an establishment? Uh, well, you know, I would tell anybody that's looking to open up their first restaurant ever. Uh, my first advice would be do anything but that. Um, <laughs> that okay. as I like to say, owning a restaurant was my favorite business I've ever owned that didn't make me any money. 
Um, and, and I say that jokingly, we were just really bad operators, which is why we failed. It's a super fun and exciting business to own. And there are lots of rewards to it. And if you're passionate about it, you should go figure it out. But I would tell anybody that's opening their first restaurant ever is to make sure that the business side of it is locked down, right? Like every time I hear about, oh, you know, I, you know, I always cooked for my friends in the backyard or I had a really great chili recipe or, you know, I always like serving food. Like that's not a business model. That's a passion, mm-hmm. right? And so if you can take a passion and add a business model to it, you know, whether that's you need an outsourced partner or you need a, 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 a finance person on your team or whatever, like have the business model on lockdown. Um, it, it, you know, there, I think one out of three restaurants in America fails within the first year, or the first three or something. I don't know the stat. It's pretty high, but it's because there's insane amounts of competition. There's never been more restaurants out there than there are today from the chains to the mom and pops. Right. So many people start them on like a dream without having like the financial resources to, you know, winning at a restaurant is a long term game. It's really, really hard. And so, like, I would just tell somebody for their first time, like, have the business plan on lockdown, know know how you're going to get somewhere, know what your financial goals are, you know, have somebody on your team, whether it's outsourced or in in house that can look at your financials on a day to day business, track what you're getting. Make sure you're not overspending on anything. You know, it's so, the business part of it is so important. It's awesome. I appreciate that advice. That's definitely something, you know, we've seen firsthand in our industry too. Restaurants come and go. The turnover rate's crazy and it's a tough industry for sure. Yeah. Um, and look, look, I think there's great ways to mentor yourself into owning a business, a restaurant business, you know, go uh, you know, and I'm sure nobody wants to wait tables, at, you know, if like their dream is to actually own a restaurant, but like, you kind of got to know how to wait tables, right? Uh-huh. Like go, go be the general manager for a restaurant in your town. Like you kind of, that's good information to have. Like there's a way to apprentice yourself um, and not lose money. You know, I would tell somebody like, re- if you're going to do it, you know, be prepared for long hours, be prepared for lots of headache, be prepared for lots of things you didn't think were going to happen. Like there's, you know, the best way to do that is go learn. That's yeah. Nothing like living it. And (laughs) speaking of that, I was actually just in New York. There's just so many good restaurants. Do you have any best first date recommendations? Uh, You know, I don't like to play favorites when it comes to restaurants because a, I like too many of them and B there's too much good food out there to tell you to go to this one or that one. Um, But I will tell you a great place to take any date and that's the Campbell apartment. Um, and I say that to people who have heard of it and they go, Oh, totally. And people that have never heard of it are like, what are you talking about? Um, are you familiar with the Campbell apartment? I'm not, I've actually never heard of it. Okay. So I'm not going to tell this story completely appropriately and, and correctly. So somebody needs to, who's listening to this needs to go Google it, but they're, okay. they're inside of grand central station, just off the, um, if you're coming in the main, the main entrance there into the main hallway in the Southwestern corner, sort of. Um, past, it's a little, it's a little hard to find. It's sort of beyond Cipriani's up the, the way from the oyster bar. There's a, there's like a door (laughs) and you you walk in that door. It depends on where you go. There's an elevator in one place. Anyway, you got to find the Campbell apartment. Essentially somebody bought an apartment inside of grand central, some crazy rich millionaire way back when, and basically lived in grand central in this hidden door. And when he passed away or whatever, he basically left it to whomever and they've turned it into a bar. And they really haven't done a whole lot to change the aesthetics of his apartment. 
So when you walk in, it's, there's like a library and there's like lounge chairs and there's like a fireplace and you really feel like you're in some like rich tycoon's apartment from like 1840. Um, and they serve really, they have great cocktails. They have a great wine program. It's a little pricey, but like it's this crazy, I mean, literally by definition, a hidden gem in New York city. And it's right inside like one of the busiest buildings on the planet and you kind of have to find it and it's around a little corner and you open the door and you still kind of don't know if you're there and somebody takes you in and then you walk in and it's this absolutely gorgeous space. Uh, you know, the, the decoration, they've done a great job preserving it. They've done a great job keeping it together. It has a really special, unique vibe. It is great for a drink with your buddies. It is great for a first date. It is great for an anniversary. It's a super cool and unique place. Awesome. I'm pumped to be, uh, check that out next time I go to New York. Guys and girls, you heard it. The Campbell apartment. Go there on a date. You'll have a great time, it sounds like. And Rev, being such a foodie, I'm guessing your answer would probably be a burger. But just in case it's not, what would be your go-to food choice if you had to be in a uh, competitive eating contest? Um, so I'm not really a fan of competitive eating from the participation standpoint. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of judging it. Um, I've judged the Nathan's hot dog contest. Uh, I've judged a number of different burger eating competitions. I think the sport is mesmerizing. I know that I don't have the stamina <coughs> to out eat somebody, but I once, and this is probably my roundabout way of answering your question. I once ate 77 hot wings in a sitting. So that Whoa. might be, that might be one is hot wings. That's impressive, Rev. I don't think I can match you on that one. That's crazy. <laughs> How long did that take you? Um, it was definitely like in the college days. It was when like this bar in our town had like 10 cent wings and like $3 beers. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so good. We would sit there just wolf wing after wing after wing after wing after wing. Those, um, are, those were the best days. I will say this too, to give you something a little more current. Last October, me and a friend, uh, you know how Burger King does 10 nuggets for a buck? Oh, yeah. We did, we went and we we're like one hundred nuggets, and they were like, "What?" We're like, ten, you know, ten orders. The like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want two large fries and ten order nuggets. They're like, really? Yes. And they brought us out a hundred nuggets and two orders of large fries, and we ate them in about forty four minutes. <laughs> wow! That, did you have a wheelbarrow to get you out of there? Uh, I had a knee scooter, so at the time I was still suffering from a broken ankle, so I couldn't even walk, so I had to be wheeled out on my scooter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I saw you're finally off crutches. Congratulations. Thank How you. you Thank you. Uh, you know, learning to walk again is an interesting thing. My accident was in Labor Day, and it's now February. So it's interesting, like, wearing shoes again. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine, man. I hope I don't have to go through that. I hope nobody ever has to go through that. It's terrible. Well, I'm glad you're back on your feet. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Rev, to end it with you, what, what would your last meal on Earth be? Uh, you know, I say this to people all the time and every time I say it, they're like, really? I crave pasta more than I crave any other food. And like, there's an, a massive Delta between pasta and other things I crave. I would eat pasta for every single meal, every single day. If I could more than burgers, more than steak, more than hot wings, more than any of the other content you see me post on my social, I crave pasta. So it is I likely... So it is likely that my final meal would probably be something like um, pasta carbonara or pasta matrachana or something like that. M more importantly of, of what I'm eating and be who I'm eating it with. So that, that's probably a bigger decision for me. Makes sense, Rev. I, I really appreciate the time, Rev. I know you're a Thank busy you. guy. And next time I'm in New York, burgers are definitely on me. Amen. And 
Yeah, man. I hope you enjoy the day. For everybody, if you aren't following Rev right now, follow him on Instagram at Rev C I A N C I O. And he also has a few other Instagrams The Burger Roddy, The Burger R A T T I, State Club 7, and Devour.fries. So if you love burgers, fine dining steak, and fries and food overall, Rev's your guy. He's the man. And Rev, thanks again. I hope to talk to you soon, man. Keep uh- crushing it. I sincerely appreciate the time and the conversation. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, buddy. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon.